Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I really think that we should probably do a, a silent auction every week <laughs> because it brings out the best and the worst in people. Everybody starts off so nice. No, no, you bid first. I'm going to hang. No, no. You go ahead. You know, everybody's real polite, and the line goes down there. And as so we, we said it was going to. Huh? Oh, sorry. How about that? <laughs> Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had a 6.30 cutoff time. Right at 6.30, the silent auction was going to shut down. So you see nerves start, start happening. About 6 o'clock, people get a little shaky, you know. Start looking around furtively and checking out who's bidding. So and then people get smart. Instead of putting their name, they start putting their number down. Because we were putting our names, and, and, then, uh, and then someone would outbid you to, to be a jerk. And, uh, and, and next thing you know, everybody's putting their numbers. And then it's just sort of this little scribble, and so, so you don't know what's going on. And I actually saw a guy push an old lady down. And, <laughs> get away from there. That's my axe. Uh, but it was funny because elbows start flying, and it, it's, just, it's just a blast. And, and it gets down to crunch time, and, and people are, you know, there was one guy, and he's got a pen, and she's got a pen. And then she reached over, time, you know. And so there was one item I wanted out of the silent auction. My friend Sean made a beautiful pair of leather cuffs, so I had my name down. And I was also responsible for doing all of the online bidding for all of those people. So I had... I was bidding for eight different people in the silent auction. I was busy, and my elbows were sore. Uh, so I put my bid on the cuffs, and I went over here, and I'm bidding for all my other folks and getting that done. Time. I'm like, good deal. Got my cuffs, good shape. I find out the preacher outbid me on my cuffs. <laughs> One of my very best friends in the world <laughs> undercut me on the one thing I wanted. So, lessons learned. Later on in the evening, that very best friend of mine came up and gave me those cuffs as a gift. So, love you, man. Thank you. Um, <coughs> when we go through those things, we a lot of times we let the devil get a hold of us, and, and we have doubts and things like that. And, and throughout it all, Kevin kept saying, hey, we got to keep our focus on not on what we're doing, not on how we're doing it, not on where we're doing it, not on who's going to be there, but why we're doing it. And the reason why we're, we did that was, was to do God's work and to do what he's telling us to do. And we're going to do it no matter what, whether it was successful in someone's mind or not. Um, we were going we to do it and just see what happened. And what happened was amazing. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was great to see some people dressed up and didn't even recognize them. Like, hello, my name's Ty. Well, I see you every Sunday. Like, well, sorry. Uh, Really, really fun. We had a great time. Thank, I can't thank everybody. I'm not going to go down that list or we'll be here till next week. But, but from my heart, thank you for, for what you do. Thank you for being my and our church family. Um, the very st first thing Kathy and I did when we got up this morning was we went up to the, to the ranch and we filled two coolers full of beef for, for needy families. And it always comes back to that. It comes back to why we're here, what, what we're doing. Everybody 
when we first started this ranch, was like, why do you need a ranch? Well, that's why, guys. It's just to do what God's called us to do. So thank you so much. I'm going to pray for you. God, the first thanks today goes out to you. Without you, we wouldn't even be here. You're our Father, and today's Father's Day. To, so the first happy Father's Day goes to, goes to the Lord. Second, second thank you goes to, goes to Kevin for shouldering the burden of, of leading us down the path of, of righteousness and, and hopefully to resurrection so we can go to heaven. Thank you so much for everybody who's involved in this ministry and, and does their job and, and doesn't complain and, and has their heart in it. And, and uh, we got such, such big hearts in this group. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. And uh, it's just humbling to be up here and, and, uh, and, be, and, and experience the things that we, that we experience. ask you to be with the fathers today, especially my friend Chuck. It be his first Father's Day without his dad. All those who are hurting like that, we just, just want, want him to know that, that we're with them and, and love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We've got, a, uh, got some people here uh, from all the way from Massachusetts, so that's crazy. So well, welcome to our, our lovely ladies from Massachusetts and all of our other visitors. My name is Kevin Weatherby. I'm originally from uh, just west of San Angelo, Texas. Seven years ago, uh, we moved up here at, at God's call to start a ministry of some sort. And I, I remember thinking uh, vividly, um, it was crazy. We came up here to look, look around in November, and we moved up here in March. I mean, it was, it was that quick. And my wife is somewhat of a of a gypsy, so she was like, "Yeah, let's move. It's great, you know." And I mean, I was living on the ranch that I wanted to spend the rest of my life on. We still got the place down in Texas, and um, so when we moved up here, it was uh, it was spring break for our kids down there, and then when we moved up here. Kiowa's spring break was the next week. So the kids got like two weeks off, and my wife is all excited. It's the brand new house and, you know, all of this stuff. We live in Colorado now, and we can't breathe and, you know, all that good stuff, right? And so everything was hunky-dory until my wife went to register the kids for school. And it says, in case of emergency, contact. And she broke into tears because we didn't know anybody. She's like, who do I put? And I said, she, you know, she's on the phone. She's like, I don't have anybody to put now. I said, 911. <laughs> Just put 911. Don't need nobody else. 911 in case of emergency. You'd think they'd know that, by the way. But I remember vividly thinking during that time period that, that God, I can't do this. I mean, I, I, w- I was scared to death and still am, but I, I was scared to death. And I said, God, I can't do this by myself. And he pointed me towards the scripture that's where uh, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He sent y'all to help me. Save the cowboys, not about me. It's about God and it's about us. And that was never more evident than last night. It's, n- it's not more evident than this morning with the Ptolemy family. It's not more evident than, than people from Massachusetts showing up here it's not more evident than people watching online and and it's just it's a crazy amazing experience that i am so blessed to be a part of we are in a uh 
part three of a series called Dauntless. Now, Dauntless is a kind of an old word, and I like words. I make my living with words. It's, a, it's an old word that, that kind of reached its height in usage in the 1850s. And what Dauntless, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, what it means is incapable of being intimidated or subdued. Dauntless. Incapable of being intimidated or subdued. Two weeks ago, we talked about how to live a dauntless life where you are incapable of being intimidated or subdued and how you do that. You can go back online, uh, go to Save the Cowboy, click on previous clinics, and you can watch that if you want to, Dauntless Part 1. Dauntless Part 2 was last week we talked about our dauntless duty of what God wants us to do and how we can't be stopped if we do it God's way. Uh, dauntless, being uh, incapable of being intimidated or subdued. And today, we start the end. I, I, I can't get it done in one day. There's, there's too much information, and it's good information, and I don't want to just casually rush through it for the sake of, of your, your belly or my belly or your belly and my bladder is more, more, more to the point. But, um, yeah, right, my, mine and ties. So, uh, anyway... If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I, I've told this story before, and um, it's one of my favorite stories, and, and it's, it's amazing how one story can have so many different applications. It's kind of like a, the David and Goliath story. You can go a bunch of different directions if you want to. Okay, but this story was it, was, it was right at dark, not dusk where there's still light. I mean, there was just a little hint of orange across the the skyline, but I mean, it was just plumb dark at the ranch, and, and I had bought 10 acres of the, of the corner of the ranch, kind of catty corner from the big ranch house, so that I could have my own place, and we leased out the section to my neighbor who raised Corrienti roping cattle, and um, I, I went out, and I don't even remember what I was doing, but I went out, and I heard, and I figured out that the big Corrienti bull, he had a big jace branded on his ribs, called him the J-Bull. The J-Bull had got out and was right outside the fence in my, not in my front yard, but right outside my front yard. And right outside my front yard was a single mesquite bush. Now, it was a big one, okay? It wasn't just a little one. It was a big one, but not a mesquite tree. It was still just a bush. And he's standing over there kind of scratching himself on this mesquite bush. And I was like, oh, man, you know, that's the last thing you want to do when it's time to go to bed is to go put up bulls. And none of my horses are caught. I, di I didn't have them up or anything. So I decided just to, you know, drive out there in the, in the truck. So I drove out there in the truck, and I got my headlight shining on him. And, I mean, literally the gate is just, you know, right there. So he's always been a good bull. We roped him whenever he was younger. Um, obviously didn't cut him because he was pretty good at what he did. And so I was just going to, you know, yeah, come on, get out of here. And so I pull up not very far, and the headlights are shining on him. And um, I had told my wife and kids, I said, ah, the J-Bull's out. I'm going to go get him back in. So I pull up there, and I shut my, shut my truck off, and I get out, and I close the door. And um, you know how your lights will stay on for a little while. So the lights are on, and I go up there, and he's, you know, scratching himself. No big deal, right? And I go over there, and I get behind him, and I'm like, yeah. And he turns around and tries to eat me. And I'm like, ah! And so I'm running around this mesquite bush, which has now become a small mesquite bush. A while ago, it was a big one. But when you have a 2,000-pound Corrienti bull chasing you, it is a small bush, right? And about this time, about the second time around this mesquite bush, my headlights go out into darkness. 
I might have peed just a little, not a lot. You couldn't really see it down the leg or anything, but I might have peed just a little, okay? But I had a saving grace because the light from the porch was on, just a little incandescent bulb on a double-wide trailer. That's what we lived in. And I, there was two little old kids named Riley and Griffin with the most gorgeous, beautiful woman you've ever seen standing right in the middle of them. And I'm running for my life, and I could hear, <laughs> So by now, we're kind of doing like the cartoon deal, right? He's on one side of the bush, I'm on the other side of the bush. But there's just enough light that's coming in that I can see him. And my wife's like, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I can't get to the truck. I got to go through the bull to get to the truck. And about that time I hear, and the porch light goes out. <laughs> and here he comes. I just don't know what side he's coming from. So I take a wild guess, which was a good one. And now we're running around the deal again. And I'm like, turn the light back on, turn the light back on. So I switched my tactics and I pleaded for my life with my wife. I was like, honey, and there's just dead silence. And finally, after about the second time around, I heard, okay, you can turn it back on now. What in the world? So now as I come around, I was able to get to the truck and then I used the truck because it had a big grill guard on it and I wasn't so nice putting that bull back in. Of course, he just trotted off, you know. But is it, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's marriage. That to me like describes my marriage to a T. You know, me being out there being the strong guy running from the big bull and, you know, honey, honey. Okay, turn the light back on. <laughs> you know, and marriage can be so beautiful and it's never perfect. It's, it's never perfect, but that doesn't mean that it can't be beautiful. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for our marriage if we can do it the way he says to do it. That's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is how to have a dauntless marriage. A marriage that is incapable of being intimidated or subdued. Now, I know, I know some of you aren't married. Some of you may be wishing you weren't married, but there's hope. Okay, and some of you are like, I don't even have any plans of getting married. But wherever you are at, there is something that you can gain from it, whether it's in the present or, or the future. Or maybe maybe you can look back and say this is this might have been where I went wrong. In Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse one, the Apostle Paul starts talking about our personal responsibilities in relationships. Now, that can also, there's a dual deal here. It's also our personal responsibilities as Christians, okay? So it's not just written to married people. It's just our personal responsibilities of how we are supposed to act. Now, I'm going to read some things, and I want you to watch what's going to happen when I read these things. You're going to think of somebody. That's not the point. That's the devil trying to say, you know, so-and-so does that, or so-and-so doesn't, doesn't do that. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about you. God is talking about you in these verses, not who you're thinking about, not somebody else. This is about our personal responsibilities to the Lord. 
Starting in verse 1, he says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Imitate God. And how do we do that? By following the example of Christ. And, and, and Jesus said, man, love, love, yourself, uh, love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he, he, he says the, the, the will of God is for you to know him, okay? To have, God and Jesus had such an intimate relationship that, that he says, I abide in my Father and my Father abides in me. God, uh, Jesus gave us the example to follow of how we could imitate God by following the example of Christ. That is your personal responsibility. Now, it's real easy to say, well, so-and-so doesn't do that. Who cares about what so-and-so is doing? You worry about you. What are you doing? It says, live a life, in, in verse 2, live a life filled with love. What is love? And on Father's Day, it, it's God is our Father, and He loves us as dear children. Those of you who are fathers, think about this. How much do you love your kids? You probably cannot put it into words how much you love your kids. And you know God loves you ten times more than that, infinitely more than that. He loves you so much that he allowed his only son to be killed for us so that we could become his children. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. That's the first paragraph. There's more in it, but for the sake of time, go to the second paragraph, starting in verse 3. Now Paul starts just, he kind of cuts right to the quick, okay? He says, let there be no sexual immorality, Impurity or greed among you, such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talking, coarse jokes, these are not for you. He, didn't, he was not talking about somebody else. He's talking about you. Obscene stories, foolish talking, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, he's saying, man, this is how you act, but the way you should be acting is to be thankful to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Now, th this is where it's easy to think, well, I, I know somebody that's greedy. I know somebody. Man, he's not talking about somebody. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. When I read these verses, I'm not thinking about everybody else that I know that I could label. I'm looking to see if there's anything within me that fits this. Okay? And isn't it funny how, how we hang on to these sins, and it's those sins that bring us pain and harm. And, and God's just saying, man, you're tied off hard and fast to these sins, or better yet, man, you, you've got dally stacked on dally on dally on dally. He says, man, pop your rope, let go of that stuff that's holding you back. Man, you could be flying by now, but you're not. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Live a life of thankfulness. So first, Paul says to imitate God by following the example of Christ. And then number two, he says, man, shuck sin. Man, just let go of it. Pop your dallies. Cut your rope if you have to. Whatever it is. And I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about you. Okay? It says in, in the third paragraph, in verse 6, he says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey. Don't participate in these things that people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. You know, the first thing that we do 
is, and maybe it's already happened because I know that it was trying to happen with me whenever I'm preaching this for the second time today, is that even me, I'm like, man, do I have any sexual immorality? Do I have any impurity? Do I have any greed? And I start, you know, like there's, well, there is this. And I'm like, yeah, but you can always hear the, the yeah, buts. You know what a yeah, but is? That's the beginning of an excuse. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, you listen. People will use it all the time. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You know what, man? Don't make excuses for the way that you live your life. And you've you got to take this into your heart. You, you're not going to do it by accident. It says darkness cannot coexist in the presence of God. Think of that. God is love. God is light. He is so pure. He's like, a, he's like, imagine a room that is all light. There can be no darkness in the presence of pure light. Okay? God wants us to be light because if we come into God's presence with darkness inside us, guess what happens to darkness in the presence of pure light? It disintegrates. He doesn't want us to disintegrate. He wants us to live. So thankfully, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that clothes us in his blood that allows us to live in the light. That's why we got to pop our dallies. That's why we got to cut our ropes. Whatever the case may be, we got to get free of the sin. And the only way to do that is to, to depend upon Jesus and what he did and be thankful to God. Next paragraph says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about things that ungodly people do in secret. You know, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Contrast that to what our human nature is. Carefully determine what pleases me. Right? That, that, that's the way we live our lives. I'm going to carefully determine what pleases me. It's the basis of pride, ego, selfishness, all of that stuff. We shouldn't carefully determine what pleases us. We should carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Care about what he says. Care about what God thinks. Care about the way he said to do things and do them. Next paragraph. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise. So be careful how you live. You know what that insinuates? You're not going to do it by accident. Okay? Think about this. We've got, we've got two of the three champion ropers from the 3C roping sitting on each end of the front row. They didn't accidentally win that. Okay, they didn't accidentally saddle their horse, accidentally happen to show up at their ride arena, accidentally build a big loop, accidentally do a two-man doctrine. They were very careful in what they did. They had preparation. They had practice. They had planned. They had saved. They had worked together. Careful. So be careful how you live. In other words, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen. You've got to be determined. You've got to be dedicated. You've got to be diligent in your approach to this by carefully determining what the Lord's will is. Okay? And we're not talking about your spouse right now. We're talking about you. I'm talking about me personally. I've got to look at this stuff and look at myself, not y'all. But you have to do the same. And then he says, don't live like fools, but those who are wise. You know, have you ever heard... Your kids, 
when you go try to, uh, didn't I tell you to clean your room? I know, I know. Well, you need to clean your room before you go. I know, I know, I know. Have you done it? No. But you need to, I, I know, I know, I know. Well, you're not going anywhere. I know, I know, I know. And, and, and we do the same thing with God, okay? We do the same thing with God. God's like, you know, you're not supposed to do that. I know, I know, I know. You know what? You, you should probably steer clear of that. You know what happened last? I, I know, I know, I know. See, having knowledge doesn't make you intelligent, okay? Having knowledge doesn't make you wise. You know what wisdom is? It's the application of knowledge. So you can know it and still be a fool. But once you know something and you apply what you know, then you become wise. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools because you know what God wants for your life. You know he doesn't want you complaining. You know he doesn't want you being afraid all the time. He knows that he doesn't want you doing whatever it is that you do. You already know it. But knowing something and not doing it makes you a fool. It makes me a fool when I do that. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. All of the things that we just got through talking about are our personal obligations as Christians, as followers of Christ, as cowboys that ride for the brand, whatever makes the most sense to you. Those are our personal obligations. But then seemingly all of a sudden we've gone through chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through into the 20s. And then all of a sudden from personal obligation, Paul comes out of nowhere seemingly and makes the most contentious statement in the Bible. The most overused, misinterpreted, whatever you want to say, verse in the Bible in Ephesians 5, 22. Let me read it. Ty, take a bullet for me if there's one that's fired, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. And you should. You absolutely should. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Wives, submit to your husbands. And let me tell you why, wives, you should submit to your husbands. Because in Ephesians 5.21, which coincidentally comes right before 5.22, 5.22 says, wives, submit to your husbands out of your reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.22. You know what Ephesians 5.21 says? Submit to each other out of your reverence for Christ. He's not just saying wives submit. He just told husbands and wives, submit to each other out of your reverence for Christ. So guess what, ladies? He's not going to say husbands and wives submit to each other. Wife, you don't really have to do that. I was just joking. No, don't worry about that. Of course you're supposed to, you're supposed to submit talking like a Texan now, getting fired up. Of course you're supposed to submit because you're supposed to submit to each other. My goodness, it's what it's about. Husbands, that was kind of hard for the wives to hear. Well, I'm fixing to put the hammer down on you because I just got that out of the way so that I could get to you. Husbands, I got good news and bad news. Here's the good news. Did you know that your wife was made even desires, my, I dare say, longs to submit to you? Let me tell you why. Wives, ladies, even if you're not married, ladies, <clears throat> what would you do for a man that put you first in all things? Ladies, 
what would you do for a man that couldn't wait to come home, that didn't live his life for work, but lived his life for you, that couldn't wait to come home so that he could wrap his arms around you and just hold you close? Ladies, what would you do for a man that no matter how stressful life got, all you saw was love, peace, comfort, and joy reflected in his eyes when he made eye contact with you, that you could see the love in his eyes no matter what. Ladies, what would you do for a man that could sit for hours, not sitting there staring at his phone, but just looking at you and longing just to have one more breath in your presence? Ladies, what would you do if he had to put his hands on you and touch you, no matter if you were reading a book or, or cooking supper or doing gardening or knitting or, or whatever it is, working cows. If he walked by you and you were within arm's length or could be within arm's length, he had to walk by and just to touch you, to have that physical contact. What would you do for a man that kept you safe? Not just from the world, but maybe even, uh, dare I say, sometimes from yourself. Ladies, what would you do? For a man that gave you butterflies in your bellies when you saw how he looked at you every single day. And it was uplifting. Maybe even somewhat made you shy with how he made you feel. Ladies, what would you do for a man that showed you how much you meant to him instead of just told you how much he meant to you? Ladies, what would you do for a man that gave grace forgiveness, and strength, not when things were great, but especially when things are hard. What would you do for a man that you knew would absolutely, unequivocally step in front of death itself, step in front of the devil himself, and give his life for you a thousand times? Even if it was a gruesome death, he would willingly give his life for you. I ask you ladies right now, what would you do for a man like that? I have asked this hundreds of times to ladies one-on-one, the most recent, seven days ago on Sunday morning before service. And did you know that 99.8% of every woman I ask this list to all responded with the exact same thing. And the word was anything. I would do anything for a man like that. You know what anything means? It means submission. Wives, do anything for your husbands out of your reverence for Christ. But you better be deserving of that submission, men. You better be that type of man if you want that type of woman. Because in Ephesians 5.25, 5.22 says, wives love your husbands. I mean, uh, submit to your husbands out of your reverence for Christ. In 5.25, Paul talks about you men. He brings a hammer down on you men. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, presenting her pure and flawless, a radiant being. Guys, that's what you're supposed to do for your wives. You're supposed to make her radiant with the love that you have for her. Being head of the household and having your wife submit to you is not about you walking around, ordering people around and doing what everybody, you know, clean this and do that. Man, that is stupid. 
That is not what a godly man does. A godly man loves his wife with such unabashed, unashamed love that she can't help but grow, flower, and be the most radiant being on this earth. And if you do that, men, if you love your wife like Christ loved the church, you will have a woman beyond compare, beyond mere words of beauty. Boy, it sounds easy in this context, doesn't it? I mean, I can see some of you like, man, I, I didn't know all that, man. I got this. I want to do that. Because, see, I, I believe that the women want a man like that, and the man wants to be that type of man. And in this context, man, we're like, yeah, we're fired up. It's like a pep rally. But it ain't that easy. It's not that easy. To understand why it's not that easy, and I've got this much left. Should just take an hour or two. To understand why it's so easy to say and so hard to do, we've got to go to the beginning. We've got to go to the very beginning of time. Luckily, it's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. Most of us have heard the story of Adam and Eve and, and this, and there's a thousand different sermons that's been preached on Adam and Eve, but we're talking about where everything went wrong because in the Garden of Eden, man, it was perfect. Everything had perfection. And then something happened. And I know the stories you've heard, some of them were good. Some of them came from the Discovery Channel. Do not get your biblical knowledge from the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, whatever you do. That is foolish, okay? Let me give you the cowboy version of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Ty, would you come up here, please? <laughs> this is Adam, okay? Yeah. But remember, I, I, I'm, I'm playing the devil, and he was the most beautiful angel, so, if the devil took a gun, Adam, pointed it in your left ear and said, renounce God, bow down and worship me, or I'm going to pull the trigger, what would you do? No deal. Pull the trigger, right? Most of you men, I think that that's what would happen. At least that's what I would hope would happen. Kathy, could you come up here? But you see, that's not what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because what happened in the Garden of Eden is the devil said, bow down and worship me, renounce God, or I'm going to pull the trigger. What do you do now, Adam? Everything just changed, didn't it? Thank you all. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. See, God had given Adam all authority. Man, you know what he could have done? He could have told that old snake, man, go take a hike. Be gone from here. And a human being under God's authority who had been placed over everything in the garden, and the snake, the devil, was in the garden. Adam had authority even over Satan himself. He could have told Satan, man, get out of here. Quit being foolish. But he didn't. You know why? Because the gun wasn't pointed at Adam. Make no mistake about it. The devil was still talking to Adam, but the gun was pointed at Eve. And when we're faced with choices like that, Adam did the same thing that you probably would have done, probably have done. He chose the girl over God. He chose the girl over God. Why? He was scared to lose her. He was scared to lose her. He doesn't want to lose her. She's the beauty of the garden. She's the heart of the garden. He's the strength, but she's, she's everything. But he chose her. Over God, he chose the girl over God. The devil tempts Eve. Eve eats the fruit that she's not supposed to and gives some to Adam, who eats it. 
Their eyes are open to the difference of good and evil, and sin enters the world. But was it Adam or Eve that was to blame? The answer very well may be something that you've never heard in your life, but you'll have to come back next week to hear it. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you are our Father, and today is Father's Day, and we ask a blessing from you, our original Father, our Father in heaven on all the dads around the country, that they become men of God, men that imitate God by following the example of Jesus Christ, that, that are not tied hard and fast to sin and corruption and greed and sexual immorality and impurity, but tied hard and fast to to you and your word and passing that love that you have for us onto our wives and onto our families. God, I pray right now that men are reborn today to become the men that you would have them to be, who their wives, who their future wives, the man that they long for, the man that they would willingly follow because they know that everything, all of their man's love is with God and flows to them. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your message. Help us to be wise, not just to have knowledge of something, but to apply that knowledge into the fruit of wisdom. And once again, may hearts and lives be transformed, not just changed a little, but transformed into a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever dreamed of being a cowboy? Do you long to ride for the brand? If you're one of those rare individuals, then we at Save the Cowboy have something just for you. We believe that you are capable of more than you ever imagined. We are offering you the chance to ride for the Lord and save the Cowboys Long X Ranch. We can show you how to be stronger, go further, and ride harder than you ever thought possible. And you know what? We just happen to have a spot for a cowboy. You ready to saddle up? A Long X Ranch Cowboy is a person wanting to take their relationship with God to the next level. Our Cowboys strive to live a life worthy of their calling and help save the Cowboy gather the lost and bring back those that have strayed away. Are you ready to take the outside? If so, go to SaveTheCowboy.com and sign up today. We'll be waiting on you.